21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. My family's been in oil now for, I was on my first rig when I was seven. Made my first sale at 18, been doing it ever since. And uh, oil's all we know. And the American oil industry is probably one of the most misunderstood industries on the planet. Most people have no idea about American oil and where our production actually comes from. And uh, up until a couple of years ago, the standard mode of operation for an oil company, it was next to impossible to build a major oil and gas and market cap of 100 million on American oil. It was next to impossible. Because in order to do that, you have to have millions upon millions of barrels in reserve that are bookable reserves. Well, to do that, there's only two ways. You either find it yourself or you buy it from somebody who already found it. Well, up until the market crashed in 2020, to find it yourself is a very hard task. Most of your spindle tops, most of your build your company overnight fields have already been found. So you have to string together a bunch of smaller fields to accomplish that same goal. So that, that route's very difficult. Buying it from somebody who's already found it, well, up until a couple of years ago, they knew what they had also. And so you weren't gonna get it at a cheap price. Now, it doesn't mean the industry's not lucrative. Doesn't mean you can't make a lot of money. Doesn't mean investors can't make an, an oil company. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means it's hard to build a massive oil company. And most people really, when you talk about the crash in 2020, if you ask the average American, if you went out and said, hey, how did the crash in oil prices affect the oil companies? Most people said, ah, it's Exxon, ah, it, it's Shell. You know, it's one of the majors. When, when in fact, 83% of your oil, 90% of your natural gas, and more than 90% of the wells drilled across the country are drilled by roughly 9,000 independent companies that average 12 employees or less. That's your American oil industry. And so when the prices crashed here a couple of years ago, that's the group of companies that took the brunt of it. And it, and it shook the entire industry because you had waves of companies knocked out of the business. You know, immediately when prices dropped, your first wave were your newer companies or your companies were on shaky financial ground. Boom, immediately out of business sign goes in the window. Well, the next wave came a couple months later when we sent everybody home for COVID. The companies that could pay their employees more than the government and get them back to the field, they're the ones that made it. The companies that couldn't, a lot of them didn't. And so what it did is it created really an acquisition opportunity that I haven't seen in 30 years.
Now our story is a little different and oil and gas is what we call our second life in oil. My first life ended here about 10 years ago when Marathon bought our family's company. And so here, oh, it took me about uh, a month and a half to realize I wasn't gonna play on the PGA Tour. And it took me another two years to finally go stir crazy. And it'll be eight years ago in July is when we started up Panic. Really, what, what we saw is we saw that acquisition opportunity. And uh, when you look at all the crashes in American history, and doesn't matter what industry, when, when you look at the crash, in every case, there are a group of people, one person or a group of people, that came out of the other side looking like geniuses. And, and when you string their stories together, there's really only two common factors that they share. The first is when the crash happened, they were liquid. They had cash in hand and they could do something. The second is when their opportunity presented itself, they had the courage to take action, to, to make a move. And so that was really where we were sitting uh, in April of 2020 when the market crashed. Now, we thought it would be a different trigger. We, we didn't expect it to be COVID. What we expected was, uh, well, this kind of gets a little more in depth. Whether you like President Trump or not is irrelevant. What he did is unarguable. When, when he increased our production the way he did, he basically took the power from OPEC. OPEC had controlled prices for over 60 years at that point. All of a sudden, they didn't have as much of a say. Well, OPEC plus Russia and Saudi Arabia, for lack of a better term, when all that was happening, they engaged in economic war against the U.S. They were trying to take out the shale industry. They flood the market with production because they knew something that most people don't know. Your shale industry, most of your oil companies up there are highly leveraged. They need at least $50 a barrel to pay their bills. And so if you're making your profit above 50, well, if they're able to drive the prices down to $45, $40 a barrel, all of a sudden you have a lot of oil companies that are in trouble. And so that was really the dynamic of what we saw happening is we saw them pushing prices down. Now, the dirty little secret is they need $50 a barrel also. And so... We were willing to bet that they were betting they could last longer than the shale industry. And so that was all the dynamic we saw building up in uh, 2019 and 2020. And then so that's when we were getting ready. We, we knew the acquisition went on now. We thought it'd take 12 to 18 months to play out. But then all of a sudden COVID came. And, and when COVID came, it took that 12 to 18 months and crunched it down into 30 days. And, and so... We're, we're literally sitting at the point when the market crashed. It's one of those, you know, you don't, uh, nothing compares to 9-11, but it's one of those tight moments where you remember exactly where you were when it happened. And, and I remember sitting at my desk, looking at the prices drop on the television. It, oh, about noon, I'd had enough. And I literally went down a block down the road and got me a roast beef sandwich at Arby's and came back. I was gone maybe 15 minutes. I walked back in my office. I look at the TV. And I saw 40. I'm like, oh, okay. They, they rebounded a little bit. And by the time I sat down at my desk, I said, whoa, 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 hang on. There was a little line in front of that 40. I didn't even know that was possible. I, I've been doing this my whole life. I didn't even know oil, get, oil prices going negative was possible. And so at that particular moment, we had two partnerships that had just gone into production and the first two distributions, those partnerships returned the partners about 75% of their money. I mean, it was doing exactly, I mean, not one, but two of them doing exactly like we wanted them to do. 
And all of a sudden the bottom fell out of the market. And so in truth, if anybody had the right to curl up in the fetal position and suck their thumb, it, it was us. I mean, it, it wiped out two partnerships. Now those partners will be okay. I mean, they rebounded, but it, it really hurt those partnerships. And, and so we're sitting there, it was me, my dad, and my brother. And we just kind of had that moment. It's like, look guys, this is what we expected to happen anyway. And, and so it just got fast forwarded. And, and so when everybody else started pulling in their, their sales to ride out the storm, we opened ours wide open. And uh, between then and now, we've made 23 acquisitions. Uh, we've secured what we believe to be about 100 million barrels of oil in reserve. And uh, now we're developing. We, we've got a field, uh, when they talk about the Bayou, when they talk about the strategic petroleum reserve, they're talking about our salt dump. We, we own all the mineral rights around that salt dump. And uh, we've been developing it for two years now. We've hit uh, eight out of nine partnership wells out there. Um, what I think in total, it was 30, 39 pay sands and over 1,300 feet of pay. I mean, just it's ridiculous. The partners are making a killing. And uh, so now what we're doing, we know for us to develop all of our holdings and we're not going out wildcatting. We're not guessing where the oil's there. We know, know the oil's there. Now it's salt dome drilling, so it's difficult drilling. However, our guys are the best in the business. And so we don't really sweat the difficult nature of the drilling. Now, can it get you? Yeah, every now and then you lose one mechanically. But I believe, I, and it's bearing fruit, uh, it's bearing out, is that we will have more mechanical failures than we will dry holes. And right now on the 11 wells we've drilled on the field, we have eight successful wells and three mechanical failures. And, and we'll go out and redrill those mechanical failures. We had oil. We just, we lost the well because our bit seized up. Just it, We got hung. And, and so... All we do is basically go out and drill direct offset wells and develop the de develop this oil. Um, I'd say our last six partnerships are going to return anywhere from bottom side be about three to one on the partner's money. Top side will be about seven, eight to one on the partner's money. Uh, we have one partnership that over the next 15, 20 years, I'd be shocked if these partners don't make 20, 30 to one on their money. I mean, we're sitting on it. We, we have the oil. All we're doing is developing it. And uh, we're looking for partners that, uh, well, Fact of the matter is, in, in this office, there's really two guys that raise money. But between the two of us, we can handle about 20, 30 million a year, which is pretty darn good when it comes when it's kind of we're drilling direct participation programs. I mean, that, that's not a that's not a not an easy lift. Well, doing it that route, me and him, we can do it over the next 10 years. We'll be able to raise all the money, drill all the wells, partners make a fortune. We can do it that route. However, to expedite the process, we got to bring in new partners. And so we're we're in a heavy, basically new partner push, trying to trying to get in touch with as many people as we can. We don't twist any arms. We don't yank hair. We tell you what we're doing. We tell you what the past has been. We tell you what we think the future is going to be. And if you see what we have and, and it makes sense to you, you'll jump on board. If not, it is what it is. There are millions of places in the world to put your hard-earned investment dollars. My job to show you where this is one of them. What we what we truly saw, and we put the I put together a I have a big booklet on it that uh, and it, it it's a culmination of several things. And one, it's knowing the business, knowing the oil and gas business, and knowing basic economics. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. I mean, one plus one will always equal two. It's never going to equal three. Never going to equal one. It's going to equal two every time. 
And, and if you can sit down and put a put a plan together where one plus one equals two all the way across, chances are you're going to be accurate. And, and so when we sat down and started looking at all this, we call it the converging factors. There are really five or six things that were coming together at the same time that really it was the first time in my life that it ever happened. And, and the first is, okay, oil, just oil in general. I, I'm a big movie buff. One, one of my favorite movies is The Usual Suspects. And one of my favorite quotes from it is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Well, when it comes to oil, I kind of, if you look at the arch nemesis of oil is environmentalist. And, and I kind of modify that quote for them in the sense that the greatest trick environmentalist ever pulled was convincing the world that oil was bad. Because when you look at it and you take your partisan hats off, you take off everything you've been told and just look at it from a straight one plus one equals two equation side, the modern world didn't begin until the first oil well was put in production. Once we were able to utilize the benefits of hydrocarbons, the human experience completely changed. And every modern advancement has been built on a foundation of oil. And so when you go in knowing that and, you know, just look at sheer numbers right now, when you look at supply versus demand worldwide, we consume roughly 10 to 15 million barrels a day more than we produce. They expect that number to be over 30 million by 2030. So so you see demand growing. OK, well. Then you add on top of that, that 17% of the world's population consumes 50% of the oils of the oil produced. Well, 83% of the world is just now beginning to use oil. Do you think they're going to choose to be in the Stone Age or do you think they're going to continue to use more of it? So the, the prospects on demand doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. So, okay. So what are we doing to supply that demand? Well, now you look at upstream investment. In 2014, upstream investment, investment to find oil to replace what we've already produced. Roughly a trillion dollars in 2013, 900 billion to a trillion dollars. Now, we're going to be lucky to get 300 billion this year. And so you see an almost 70% drop in upstream investment to find more oil. So you go, hmm, we're consuming more than we produce. And our investment to find more oil is down almost 70% worldwide. Well, that right there tells you when you have a lot of people that want a restricted product, what is the price of that product going to do? So that's basic economics. You go, okay, prices are going to go through the roof. Well, the only way prices wouldn't go through the roof is if there's something to replace oil with. Okay, so now you go and you start looking at alternate energies, alternative energies. Well, honestly, and this is this has been the biggest. Oh, you try to find a way to to state your case without sounding like a bad guy. But that's the fallacy of this argument. They, they've set this argument up as a binary world. You're either for or against. When the fact is, I believe everybody has a little environmentalist in them. 
I love nothing more than walking out of my front door and looking at the big field horses out in front of my house in the morning. Manicured lawn looks perfect. Well, if that's not environmentalist, I don't know what is. I don't want to live in trash. I don't believe anybody wants to live in trash. So I believe all of us have an environmentalist in them. However, they've set the argument up where it's a false argument. It's hard to argue against Santa Claus. It's hard to argue against somebody when their stated goal is to save the world. I don't believe you. What do you mean? You want to destroy the world? That's the, that's the binary, the, the decisions that they're making you choose. When the fact of the matter is, look, there are two people in my life, two living people, that had more influence on me than anybody else. My dad and Rush Limbaugh. Uh, and one thing that Rush taught me is don't accept the premise of a question. If you don't agree with the question, don't answer it how they want you to answer because you're giving them nothing but fodder. If you don't agree with the premise of the question, state that you don't agree with that question. Well, in this particular argument, just because I don't agree with what they want to do doesn't mean that I don't want things to burn cleaner. And, and so when you look at it, is it worth arguing with? Well, let me ask you this. I figured out a way to boil it down into one sentence. If your stated goal is to save the world, yet in order to save the world, you're going to make us destroy it first, then you're not a serious person. I want to engage in this conversation with you because that's exactly what they've done. To go to electric, no, nothing electric is going to replace oil. To go to solar, nothing solar is going to replace oil. To go to wind, nothing wind is going to replace oil. There is not one alternative energy out there right now that can pre presently replace oil. Now, if they truly wanted to save the environment, if that was their goal, they'd go natural gas nuclear. We already have the infrastructure built, or most of it. You could put converters on every car. You could run natural gas pipelines to everybody's garage. No longer have to go to the grocery store or no longer have to go to the convenience store. No longer have to go to the gas station. You can fill it up at night or you go nuclear. Hang on. We can run the most advanced subs on the planet on nuclear power, but we can't do it here. No, it's a disingenuous argument. They've set up a straw man. They've set up a false argument. And the only way you win that argument is you don't engage in it. You state it for the lunacy that it is. I mean, you look at these electric cars. Do you realize that if a small percentage of the population went to electric cars, it would crash the power grid? We don't have the infrastructure in place. And, and if, if we would get out of the way, and that's the problem, the wizards of smart try to change terms, try to say something that was said 30 years ago and just name it differently. But it's still the same thing. If it was a skunk 30 years ago, it's a skunk now. It's not urban camo. It's still a skunk. And so they try to change the name. Well, the fact of the matter is the free market fixes it all. If they put an electric truck out there that I liked better than my Dodge, you know what? I would buy that electric truck. However, they haven't come up with one yet. My truck will yank a stump out of the ground. I haven't found an electric that can do that. And so if they would let the free market work, Heck, ask the citizens of Germany, would they rather buy natural gas from mean old Vlad, Vlad or would they rather cut down the pristine forest like they've been doing? You know, and so it's, it, they set up a false argument. So now bringing that all back together. So we're consuming more than we produce. We're not investing to replace it. And there's nothing to replace oil. with. Well, what does that tell you is going to happen to oil prices? Because oil is not going anywhere. And so now you look at What's the proof of this? If you say, oh, hey, Jay, you're a redneck from Bowling Green, Kentucky. How come you know this? Well, one, 
I have a mind. I can sit down. I can look it up. You can pull all this data up. This is not hidden. Yeah, you might have to do a little work to find it, but you can dig all this data up. Now, the, what truly tells me that I'm right is economics. Look at the companies that are investing in green energy. Look at Exxon. Look at Shell. Look at their commercials they run. Hey, trying to do green energy, save the environment. Save, well, so either one, they know something I don't know. They have some technology that's been hidden from the world. They've found somebody who invented the new printing press, and they haven't told anybody about it. That could be there. Or they know what I know. So one of two things is happening with these companies. They're either, one, putting all this money in green energy and alternative energies because they're, they're altruistic. They truly believe their product is destroying the world, and they're willing to wreck their companies. They're willing to lose their stockholders' money. They're willing to submarine everything they've worked for in order to save the globe. Hey, who am I to say that's not what they're doing? They could be doing that. Well, then you have the other side. Or they know exactly what I know. They know that by putting all this money in green energy, what are they going to get? One, they're going to get tremendous tax benefits. Two, they're going to get social loving. Oh, these guys are trying to say, look how much money Exxon is putting into green energy. Look how great these guys are. So they get great PR and they get great tax benefits. But remember, they know the same thing that I know. So when the bubble burst and everybody comes out from under the ether and everybody realizes, oh my God, there's nothing that can replace oil. How much is the oil they already have going to be worth at that point? So I don't know which one you think it is. I know which one I think it is. And so you sit down and you look at all of those conditions. So we knew, we saw this path coming. We knew it, it was, this was going to happen. However, we didn't expect COVID to be the trigger. And, and when COVID triggered it, and all of a sudden the playing field got cleared, man, it opened up a world to us that I didn't, I didn't think we'd be able to ever be able to get to this point. I mean, we're, we're really good at what we do. But now we're sitting on a point where we have the opportunity to build the first major oil and gas company based on American oil. It's happened one time in 40 years, and that was when two companies merged. We could be the first company to do that in 40 years. Why? Because the acquisition opportunity is still open. We thought, we thought the grownups would return in 22. We, we thought that, that it would switch and everything was, well, guess what? We just got a stalemate. And so the window stayed open. And so while this window is open, I mean, we have guys knocking on our door every day wanting to sell us their product just because somebody's going to consolidate this oil. And when we kind of look at it, well, if somebody's going to do it, might as well be somebody who actually cares about what's happening to it. We have a website we set up that it's called panx.us slash learn. And uh, that page was specifically designed for individuals who've never invested in oil. We have oil and gas 101 just kind of gives you a breakdown on what oil and gas companies look for. Uh, oil and gas 102 are the tax benefits because oil and gas are, they're the best tax benefits out there. Um, when, when you think about it, uh, and, and now I'm not a CPA and just kind of give you general rule of thumb, but Typically, if a partner invests $100,000 in one of our drilling programs, Uncle Sam pays for roughly a third of it. 
And so my guys are essentially playing on $0.65. Cent dollars. And so what we do is we put together drilling programs. And uh, a partner, uh, you know, an individual would go to panx slash learn dot us slash learn. And on that page, we put together, we have a little movie called A Morning Without Oil, where we just kind of, most people don't realize the role oil plays in their life. You know, mo- most people don't realize that every piece of plastic, clothing, makeup, shampoo, every facet of our life is covered in oil. And I- I'm a true believer that you could walk out into any city in America, randomly grab one person, and I'd bet everything they own that had at least two products of oil on them and most likely wouldn't know it because that's how ingrained it is in our lives. And so we try to educate people because oil has gotten a bad name when oil has brought more people out of poverty than anything in the history of humankind. And so when you look at, uh, you know, I kind of laugh, you know, a possum gets a bad rap. Everybody looks at a oh, it's nature's rat. Well, guess what? That possum can eat several thousand fleas and ticks a day. That possum actually has gotten a bad rap over the years because they are ugly. They are. However, oil is the same thing. Oil is so beneficial to our lives. Most people don't know it. Now, the the innovations and what's going to happen, some young wizard or smart is going to come up with a way to burn it cleaner. Some young wizard or smart is going to come up with something outside of the box that we're not even thinking about right now. But when it comes to and, and I don't want to be a, you know, viewed as a guy who's just against green energy, that that's not that's not the case. If they, I, I, of course, I want cheaper energy. I pay it just like everybody else does. However, when you're telling me that the sun's going to come up in the West tomorrow and you want me to believe it, I'm not going to believe you because the sun rises in the East. It, it's just, you know, and we've been studying, you know, heck, the first full, first solar panel was discovered in the mid 1800s. Same thing with wind power. Well, man, if they've been studying this stuff for over 150 years and hadn't figured it out by now, what are the odds that they're all going to have a eureka moment? You know, it's it's just it's it's asinine to think that it's going to happen. It's going to take just like it always does. It's going to take some young genius who's going to come up and look at something different than everybody else and say, hey, why don't we do this? And they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe we didn't think of it. And it'll be that. Has it happened yet? No. Because knowing human nature, if you had come up with that, you'd be standing on the top of the mountain telling everybody about it. And I don't see anybody dancing right now saying they've solved the world's problems. It's funny you say factors. Um, For years, we've worked on I, we laugh because we're I, eventually we're going to write a book on it, but it's called the three factors. There, there, there are three factors involved before us doing business with anyone. The, the first factor is the buyer's responsibility. The second two factors are my responsibility. The, the factor that is the buyer's responsibility is the money. I can't tell them how much they have. I can't tell them how much they, they can invest. Our programs are designed for accredited investors. Net worth a million, annual income of 200000 That's a, That's the standard definition. Third party verified. Well, once a partner shows that they're accredited, I put that factor away and don't worry about it again. Now it relies strictly on me and my two factors. The first and foremost is exactly what we're discussing. Who are we? R.J. Burr, Pan X, Justin Burr, Bob 
why are we the kind of people you want to do business with? And, you know, if you, if you couldn't envision yourself sitting down and breaking bread with me and my family, I'll be the first one to tell you, don't do it. Now, once you see that, we're, and the, the reason we put the people first is because anybody can sit down and spout great numbers to you. I can sit down and tell you, oh, I'm going to make you 50 to 1 on your money. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make 20 to 1, whatever that number is. However, if you don't see that I'm see that I'm somebody that you should listen to, what difference does it make what I tell you when it comes to numbers? And, and so we want to make sure that you see that we're the kind of people you want on your team. Now, once you see that, then we'll talk about numbers. Then I'll show you what we can do for you economically. Now, when it comes to, to me and my family and why partners invest with us, because what you see is what you get. Uh, if it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white. There is no gray. Um, I started doing something when I was, oh, it's probably my early 20s when, when I started doing it. And, and, you know, as you get older and you grow, you, you know, you run down paths, you try to research, you try to understand who you are. And, and one of the things that I snapped to is that everybody has a conscience. That there's a reason the good Lord above gave you a conscience. That little guy sitting on your shoulder, that's your instincts, that's your conscience, that's everything your inner body is. And it's honest with you. All you have to do is listen to it. And so every night when I go to bed, I brush my teeth. And how I know if I'm doing right is I look myself dead in the eye in the mirror before I go to bed. And you know if you're happy with who you're looking at. You can't lie to yourself. You can lie to everybody else. You can lie. You can. People, I've seen some tremendous liars. However, it's very hard to lie to that guy looking you dead in the mirror. And so every night when I look myself in the mirror, if I'm happy with who, I, who I'm looking at, I don't worry about a thing. If I'm not, then I know there's something I didn't do. And, and so that's kind of how you, you hold yourself to, to that standard. You know, it's one of those things that uh, you can tell the truth a million times. You lie once and you're a liar. And, and so we tell it like it is. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. And, and then we let the chips fall where they may. As long as our partners know that we leave no stone unturned, every decision we make has one foundation to it. Is it good for the partners? Don't care if it's good for us. If it's good for the partners, we'll do it. If it's not, we're not. And it's that simple because without my partners, I don't have a business. <laughs> a lot of people forget that. A lot of people have the audacity to think that their partners work for them. No, no, nothing could be further from the truth. You took the most sacred decision you can make in business. You took your hard-earned money. Most people to get their money easy. Most people had to bust their butts to get where they're at. Most people had to sacrifice, miss Little League ball games, miss dinner with the family. Most people that are successful had to pay a price to be successful. Well, when they take something that they've worked that hard to build and they trust you with it, man, that's the most sacred thing you can do in business. Shame on you if you don't protect it like it's your own. And so as long as my partners know that we're going to leave no stone unturned and we're going to do everything we can to make you as much money as we possibly can, then I'm not going to back up from anybody. And that's what we do. If somebody's interested in finding out what we're doing and why we're doing who we are, panx.us slash learn is the webpage to set up for you. It'll show you how we structure our programs, what we do, why we do it. It'll give a little color to the page so you get the full picture. Now, when it comes to our partnerships, they vary. Uh, we drill multiple well programs. We've drilled single well programs. We've drilled 30 well programs. 
it just really depends on what we're developing at that moment. Now, what we're doing now is we're going in and we're essentially drilling direct offsets to a field in which uh, the, the beauty is we have all the logs from the wells that were drilled in the field over the last hundred years. We essentially have a treasure map with arrows pointing to where it's at. All we have to do is go and get it. Now, is it a little more complicated than that? Yeah, it's a little more complicated than that. However, in the basic sum of it, that's basically what we're doing. We're following a treasure map. And uh, I was laughing the other day, a partner asked me, he said, man, he said, the, the story could be a little sexier. I said, yeah, I know it could. I said, but uh, ego, I would love to be able to come up and say, man, we created something that nobody's ever created. When in truth, all we're doing is we get on the shoulders of giants and get what they left behind. You know, you, your, your, old, your old oil companies back in the pioneer days of oil, they were essentially, for lack of a better term, they were spoiled kids. And a spoiled kid's favorite toy is their next toy. And so what they would do, we love salt domes. And the reason we love salt domes, they were your original oil formation. They were the oil formation that your geologists back in the day, was the first ones they could identify. And so most of your old oil fields were salt domes. Well, what these companies would do, they'd come out, they'd drill a well on a spot, they'd hit it, and they'd cut back flips. They found oil, their oil men, great. Well, the next couple of years, they'd drill 5, 10, 15 wells around it, hit all these wells. Again, they're cutting back flips, they're producing all this oil. But remember, it's the early 1900s. This field was discovered in 1926. And so after those 15 wells, a lot of the times they thought they'd produced it all. Well, then they'd hit a well five miles away. Well, they'd just pick up their whole operation and move five miles away. Well, over the next hundred years, a company come and drill here, a company come in and drill here. In some cases, they fully developed the field. But in a lot of cases, they left millions of barrels of oil behind. Now, reason we love salt domes, as I mentioned earlier, difficult drilling. You have to have a certain level of expertise to drill on these salt domes. We do. It chases a lot of the competition away. But secondly, just like I mentioned a minute ago, salt domes were the original oil fields. These fields, we found more oil left in salt domes than anywhere else. And so, like I said, I'd, I'd love the story to be a little sexier. However, it's not. All we do is we stand on the shoulders of giants and get what they left behind. And in a lot of cases, there's a lot of money there. I mean, heck, if just look at this field right now, if we're right, if we're right, and I think we are, but it, we still have to, we, it's going to take us 15, 20 years to produce all the oil, 30 years to produce all the oil. But if there's 100 million barrels in this field right here, it's $70 oil. That's $7 billion. If it cost us $300 million to develop the entire field, don't think it will, but let's just say it costs $300 million. If we're wrong by 5x, we still made $50 million. Not a bad position to be in. If we're right, <laughs> we made $6.7 billion. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs, trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik, connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark 
on the path to success.